Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Life at Ease, an Early Autism Services podcast. I am your host, Naza, Outreach Specialist with Early Autism Services. Early Autism Services provides in-home, in-clinic, and telehealth behavioral intervention therapy, or ABA therapy, for children on the autism spectrum across the United States, Australia, and India. Early Autism Services is comprised of caring individuals who are all committed to helping children with autism and their families. The goal of our podcast is to encourage conversation about autism, to foster understanding and awareness in order to help create a more accepting society. On today's episode, we will be speaking about how to be an advocate for your child with special needs. We have with us today, author Rima Abdul-Karim. Rima is a full-time mother and wife. She has been gifted with four children. Three of her girls were born with a rare genetic disorder, which causes epilepsy, growth retardation, and cerebral palsy, among other health issues. It's with a very heavy heart that I say this. <clears throat> Two of her children passed away from this condition. Rima has always loved writing, but it wasn't until her daughter was born that she began penning her feelings down. She began writing her story in the hopes of helping others who are going through hardship and dealing with special needs children. Eleven years later, her autobiography, Living with Miracles, was born. We welcome you, Rima, to Life at Ease. Thank you for taking (laughs) thank you for taking time today to speak with me. Um, So happy to have you. Uh, The novel was um, incredible. So, so, so many different ways. Before I get into it, I would love for you to share with us the inspiration, the incredible inspiration behind um, Living With Miracles. First of all, thank you for having me. Um, With Living With Miracles, for me, it was very difficult when I had my first daughter, Amira, um, who had, basically at the time we didn't know what she had, but it was, we were told that she has severe brain damage. I didn't know what that meant, except that, you know, my daughter wouldn't be doing the normal things that other children will be doing so I had no support whether it be medical a lot of the my family members they didn't know how to support me I didn't know what kind of support I needed so I felt quite isolated and alone so um, the only way that I was able to express how I was feeling was through writing so um, I decided to start writing when my daughter was born, she was actually, it was when Diana, it was, I started writing like little bits and pieces when Amira was born, just like reflections and things like that. But I actually started writing Living With Miracles um, when Diana was around, I think, nine years old. That's when I was sort of inspired and told by a social worker, why don't you write a book about it? So for me, it was actually quite daunting what do you mean write a book? Who's going to want to read my story anyway? So I'm just like, you know what? I'm not going to, ha- I don't have the intention of, of publishing or doing anything like that. I'm just going to write down the beginning for as long as I can remember, for as far as I can remember um, up until today, how my life has been and how I felt, you know, um, over the years. And that's how it began. But it took, um, it took 11 years because it was quite painful to, to write. Of course. I know the journey of of writing, um, I know the painful journey of writing. I know the 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 exhilaration when you're 
when you're finally able to take what you've carried with you for so long and finally it's somewhere else in a safe place and you don't have to uh, carry those things with you. Um, and uh, I did, um, you know, it's so hard to talk about your book without feeling all of these emotions. And I just want to say, I just want to put this out there as we're, as we're speaking and having this conversation, if there's any time where you need to, you know, um, I don't want it to be a trigger for you and I respect you. So please let me know. Um, for our listeners today, uh, this will be um, a heavy topic. Just listener discretion is advised. Um, we will be speaking about advocacy for children um, with special needs. Um, and there are moments uh, that, uh, you know, in your, in your novel, uh, Rima, where um, <clears throat> I can remember one um, particular event or uh, incident that occurred with Amira. Um, there was an emergency situation. She was in a hospital uh, emergency room that I believe it was not her home hospital if I can call it like a home, I think it was a, I think it was an emergency situation and you took her to uh, an emergency room. Um, you were constantly, repeatedly asking the nurses to lift up or put up the, the side rails, um, the guardrails, and they refused. Um, Amira was having violent seizures and ended up uh, falling off the bed as she was seizing. And, um, I had to stop at reading at that time. It was, it was so upsetting um, as a mom. It was so upsetting um, just being able to visualize it. You're, you're a beautiful author. You have a gift um, uh, with writing. And the way you, you, you laid out the, the details of that day was, um, so I had to, I had to pause. It, it tore my heart into pieces. Um, and it was a very, also, I became very angry at the system. Here you are, a mother, you know your child best, you know her condition, you know what happens. You're explaining yourself, you're, 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 you're trying to even, you know, for you to even have to repeat that um, was very frustrating for me. Like, you're the mom, you know your daughter best, and you're telling them what you know is going to happen and you're asking them to listen to you and they don't. And that refusal leads to Amira falling off the bed. <sighs> so just to, re just to rewind a little bit um, for the audience. Uh, so as I was driving home from the hospital, actually, she had a just a regular um, appointment to have uh, with the dentist because she every time she'd have a seizure, her, her bottom two teeth would basically dig into her tongue. So we needed to, you know, remove the teeth. So we just had a, a, an appointment. And then on the way home, sure enough, she had a, a major seizure and she punctured her tongue. And so you can imagine, you know, it's just me by myself with her. And then I'm just looking at the mirror and I can see blood splatting everywhere. I didn't know, obviously it's coming out of the mouth, but I didn't know what happened. I just obviously assumed it was her tongue, but I don't know if she lost her teeth, what happened? So it was actually quite horrific um, to see. And then to have the ambulance come, you know, to the rescue. So I'm not gonna spoil it for the, for the readers if they wanna read that part. Um, but, you know, to have the ambulance come and, and I was like pretty much drenched in, in blood and pieces of her tongue. 
um, were on my clothing. And then to end up in the hospital in the emergency, and this girl is having, you know, multiple seizures. And now her seizures were very aggressive because she was in a lot of pain because clearly she had taken parts of her tongue out. So here I am, even though she's very tiny, she's only a tiny little girl. Um, they put her in the bed, um, obviously with emergency beds, you know, there are no sort of like, there are side rails, but there's no sort of, um, is it called a headrest uh, where they pull it up from the back mm -hmm. so that doesn't exist and they put it right up the top of the bed and I'm like she's gonna fall she's gonna fall can't you see how she's you know seizing um so violently and they're like no no we don't leave the emergency room we're standing here it's all under control and they're sort of like ushering me away and I didn't like for me it's like no 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 you need to understand she will fall but what got me the most is that why aren't you listening to me? Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, she will fall. And then sure enough, you know, as soon as I stepped away just to make a phone call to her dad to say, we are in the hospital, come, um, this is what's happened. As soon as I come back from that, you know, very quick phone call, sure enough, the whole emergency department were on top of her head and, you know, just... And I'm like, what's happening here? And they said, oh, she fell off the bed. So I was actually from, you know, someone, a mother that is very scared, doesn't know what's happening with her daughter. You want the pain to go away. You want, you know, you want everything to be under control. And then to have the staff not listen to you and then come back and find that what you were afraid of actually happened. It actually turned into anger for me. It's like. Rightly so. It's like you are not listening. And then I just started yelling, like, you're, you're not listening to me. You need to listen. So it's, it's quite interesting, you know. And they, they think that they have it under control. They know what they're doing because they're the medical staff. And look, a lot of the times, you know, they do. But there are occasions where the mothers know best, the parents know best. And I'm telling you something, you need to listen. So that's, that's, um, yeah, no, that wasn't a pleasant experience. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, not at all. There was something that happened. Uh, my son, you know, he was, he was born premature and he just needed to be followed by um, everyone, the cardiologist, um, the ophthalmologist. And so he had an ophthalmology appointment um, when he was about, I want to say six months, um, he had them every month since he was born. And this was his big six month appointment. Um, they usually, they used clamps to keep his eyelids open. It's actually that. very confronting that test. Yeah. It's oh my not God, nice yes. to see. Yeah. Just to yeah. see him laying there with these clamps in his eyes. Yeah. And um, it, it's just, it's, it's already uncomfortable. This is what I would like to see more empathy, sympathy for, for parents, um, you know, and for that have to see their child. I know for the, the hospital staff, this is standard. That's right. You, you know, and they see, they see the trauma. It's an emergency room. They've seen anything that you can kind of conjure up in your brain, right? They've seen it. Um, 
but this is fairly, this is new for the mom. This is, you know, sometimes new, sometimes, but it's very frightening for, for the parent, for, for healthcare professionals to just take a moment to understand that uh, as they're speaking, as they're listening and as they're working with you to help um, your child. And I, and I do feel they need to, I understand that there's a lot of emotions evolve, involved and sometimes they are wanting to work without having to deal with those emotions that can alter or uh, affect, um, you know, their, what they're trying to do. However, I do think there's a, there's a fine line and they're able to, to, to work with, uh, with figuring out how to balance that. And so he, my son, I take him to this appointment and the doctor um, is, uh, so he asked me to hold my son and he's a little bit, you know, he's, my son's freaking out because he's not a month or two month old where, you know, he just, he's just going to lay there and let That's the climb right. in. Um, he's more aware. He's uh, a little, he's, he's, you know, he's more sensitive. I, I noticed that. That's probably frightened as well. Very frightened. Even though I'm holding him, he can feel my anxiety. I know. Mm-hmm. And um I'm trying to hold him still. I'm trying to, and it's not working. And the doctor's getting very frustrated with me. And he was like, you need to hold him tighter. You need, I'm like, do you want me to squeeze the life out of him? Like, what do you want me to do? And he's like, put your leg over his abdomen and get his arms in there. And I'm literally in the chair with my son. My leg is like this way and that way. And I'm like scared to death that this doctor is going to tell me I'm not holding my son down or pinning him down. Like it felt like I was pinning him, him yeah. down. Um, and then he, and then my son's like freaking out and Hamza's, you know, he, he's pretty calm. Like he was a calm baby despite everything. And I can, he's physically not okay. I can feel it in his body and he's shaking his head and the doctor just puts his big hands on his head and just like pushes his head down. And I'm, I'm speechless. Like, I don't know what to do. It's not working out. And he, and I can see it on the doctor's face, you know, and like, you know, my, my son's not an animal, you know, he's, he's not an animal where you can just like, I came home. So it didn't work out. We, I, I I left. I said, it's not working out. I'm very distressed. And I was like, I left, I came home and I just, um, I know we were, we were speaking briefly uh, before, we got on the podcast about holding those emotions in and not letting anyone see. Um, and I could feel it as on my drive, drive home, just eating me and eating me. And I'm like, you know, trying to um, console Hamza, who's still, you know, he's in the backseat and he's very upset. He ends up falling asleep. And that gives me time to sit with myself. And I get, I come home and I'm just, I just break down in front of my mom and I, and I'm crying and I can't even speak. And she's so worried. She's like, where's Hamza? What happened? Or did you get into a car accident? And she's so freaked out because she does, she's not seen me like this. I, we talked about having to, to sometimes not even share those emotions with our, the, the strong emotions that we have with family and friends. And I didn't, I didn't share it with my mom um, when Hamza was, was going through all of these things because I felt like I had to be the strong one for the rest of the family because they were so worried about his health and so worried about what would happen to him. Um, but she sees me break down um, and she's just like, just tell me, tell me he's okay. Tell me you're okay. And I tell her what happened. And she's just like, you know, it's a doctor's appointment. Um, she's like, you don't have to go back there, you know? And like, just hearing those words was, I, you know, I felt like I would have to reschedule with this doctor 
that I'm super uncomfortable with. And this would happen again. And I had this fear and I didn't realize it until she said those words. And I could feel a release, a little bit of a release. Like, of course, I had that horrific nightmare of a memory, you know, associated with the ophthalmology ophthalmologist. But um, her words telling me, like, you don't have to go back there helped me feel a sense of relief. You and had so, a choice. She gave, she's basically saying you have a choice. You don't have to do that. But sometimes as parents, we don't think we do. We think that this is the doctor. This is the specialist. This is the hospital. And we have to, regardless of our discomfort, regardless of experiences that show us like, hey, this is not the place. Regardless of of it being completely transparent, we feel um, sometimes, I'm not speaking for everyone, but I know I felt like I didn't have a choice. Like this is the specialist that was recommended to me by this doctor. I have to follow through. I have to go. Um, but it wasn't until a few months later where I actually wrote a review on that uh, doctor's profile. I'm not sure if, if you know, who read, I, I, I'm not sure, but if anyone has benefited, but I did say, you know, this doctor was completely um, unable to work with my child as a small child, you know, a parent of a small, small child, if you have older kids, they can sit through an appointment, but um, it was the most horrific uh, doctor's experience. At Hamza had a lot of doctor's appointments and this was the most horrific and it still troubles me to this day. And I still wonder if Hamza somewhere, I know he was very young, but I wonder if like he's, he still retains the, the fear of, of, of that experience. Um, but just, but just putting that message out there like, to parents, like you do have a choice. You can ask for a second opinion. Um, if you're not comfortable with who you're seeing or, or the way that they're treating you or, or talking to you or treating your child or speaking with your child, you don't have to, um, to be stuck in a situation like that. And I know uh, Rima with, uh, um, there was a, with Amira's experience. And then when, when you had Angelica and in, in the story, I, I hear um, your tone was a little bit different when it came to choosing the provider or um, speaking to them about Angelica and her needs and being able to advocate for her. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you, what was that shift in, um, in that tone and that tone of confidence? I think for me, it's I had medical professionals up on a pedestal. I felt that they could do no wrong. And at the end of the day, we have to understand that they are human and they make mistakes, right? But for me, it's like, no, no, you know everything. And I'm a a first-time mom, right? So, And I'm young. I was only like 20 years old. But it doesn't really matter how old you are. It, it, it's about that I don't have the experience as a mother. So I'm learning as I'm going along. So for me, it's like these educated people, they know everything. They know it all. So I just have to sit back and trust them to do the right thing. But as the years go on and you realize, hang on, but this doesn't feel right. It's, you, I've, I've got things, I'm feeling things that I shouldn't be feeling. And like you're saying with your son, Hamza, you know, that's traumatizing because I remember, I think it was Amira, she had that test done to see if she could see, I think it was, um, early on in her life. mm. Exactly. And and it's actually quite confronting for the parent to see that. But the, again, the medical professions, you know, they, they, they're just doing their job. That's it. No feelings attached, 
no emotions. And it's just the person becomes like a number. They can't sit there and feel, you know, oh, that's so sad and this and that and whatever, you know, with the child because they, they won't get the job done and they've got, you know, hundreds of patients to see. Whereas where we go back and we're traumatized from that experience mm-hmm. and they are dismissing our feelings. They're dismissing the child that is distressed in the situation. So I, after many incidences um, similar to that, I sort of woke up and, and for me, it's not about waking up even. It was more about, I need to know my rights. I need to know what, my child's rights are, what my rights are. And it hit home mainly when a doctor um, said to me that an autopsy had to be performed on my daughter when she dies. And I'm like, you're not going to do an autopsy on my daughter. He said, no, we need to do the autopsy because of science and the students need to learn. And I'm thinking that I had no choice. I'm Mm -hmm. thinking, is this and then I was I was beside myself, okay? Um, because you're bluntly telling me two things. One, okay, fine, I already know that she's going to die, but to say it in my face like that, that's mm-hmm. confronting on its own. Second of all, to sit there and say that we're gonna cut your daughter's head open after she passes because we need to learn. I mean, for me, it's like I was, I was beside myself. Like, I can't even explain how I felt that, what is this? I'm not a human. I don't have feelings. I don't um, have rights. So I started to investigate. I went to our um, local member of parliament and, um, and I started to, you know, ask questions. And that was the first time, because I'm, I'm generally a very shy person and I don't, um, I don't, I'm not, I'm not sort of one to, like I'll shy away from things, okay? Or I was like that. I'm not so much like that anymore because life taught me many things, you know? But I went because it's like, this wasn't for me. This was for my daughter. So I had to find out what, what her rights were, what my rights as a, as a mother was, you know? Um, and then when he explained to me, no, she, um, by law, you know, you don't, um, an autopsy ha- doesn't have to be performed because she's terminally ill and it's, she's expected to die. So it's not like an accident or an unexpected death. So in that case, you don't have to agree to that. I felt liberated. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was on top of the highest mountain. Like you cannot speak to me anymore. I know my rights. I know my daughter's rights and I'm going to give it back to you. And from that point on, for me, it was like, no, you can say whatever you want. Let me go back, do my homework, find out if I have to follow through or not before I come back with my decision. You're not going to bully me anymore. And that's right. how I felt. I was being bullied, you know. Um, but, you know, to be fair, I had some wonderful doctors along the way um, and they made my life so much easier to the point where I just sit back, you know, and say you make all the decisions because I know they cared, you know. Um, but knowing your rights your child's rights that makes all the difference and it actually it does empower you and it makes you stronger for yourself and for your child and that's the most important thing i think um i was beautiful about what you just shared is like the fact that you went back you did your homework and you did your research and it's not easy it's not easy to find this information sometimes and it's intimidating it's intimidating because you're trying to look through this 
or you're looking through the handbook or where, where do you go for this information, right? Do you go to Google? Do you try to ask another doctor? Um, and the fact that you, you know, even at that moment where, like you said, like you were completely broken down just with, with his words to you um, and the complete disregard for, for your, his, for your feelings on the matter and just um, his bullying tone, you know, telling you that this is something that would have to be done instead of you have a choice in the matter. Um, I'm not sure, you know, to give him the benefit of that, of the doubt, maybe he was misinformed, um, and that could be a stretch of a generosity tour, you know, but, uh, at the end of the day, you did, you did, you did your homework and it, and it, and it does. So the advocacy, um, that's part of it. it. Part of it is the research. Part of it is taking time and, um, and asking questions and asking and not stopping, uh, to ask those questions until you feel that you've received the right answer or, enough of an explanation for whatever it is. Um, and sometimes, you know, life gets busy, parents, we have other children, other responsibilities. Um, but I do feel that the more that we ask the professionals, the healthcare professionals, and the more that we demand more um, of them, the more that they will also provide in turn. They do um, speak to you differently as well when you know your stuff. Right. So yes. I came in as a very, I was very naive. I was very naive. Like I said, I was inexperienced. They were pulling the shots or he was pulling the shots. And I allowed him for a while because I didn't know any better. Yeah. And at the time, you know, we, we are actually quite gifted now because and we're, we're really, really fortunate because at the time when Amira was born, that was in 1995, um, there wasn't social, there wasn't, there was no such thing as social media. It wasn't anything called, you know, Facebook and Instagram and, and all these different platforms. There wasn't even computers. Well, there was, right. but not every household had right. computers, you know. So it was a lot harder then, whereas now it is a lot easier. And I do encourage, you know, young parents or first-time parents or any parent just keep researching, you know, once you hit a wall, go open another door, find other places, you know, because it's never a dead end. There's always something. And that's our job. That's our job as parents, because these children, they can't speak for themselves. So we have to speak on their behalf. You know, um, my daughters, they're, they're non-verbal and pretty much non-responsive. And for me, it's like, you know, like with any child, when you send them to school, you know, they come back and they tell you, oh, you know, such and such did this or the teacher said this to me or whatever. For me, I didn't have that. So even if there were carers looking after my daughters, I don't know what they were doing. So I had to have that, I guess, faith in them that they were doing the right thing and, and treating my children right. But how do you know? You don't. And that's scary on its own, you know, because there are a lot of children that are nonverbal. They can't tell you that, you know, the teacher hurt me or she hurt my feelings or she, you know, possibly there's a lot of like sexual harassment and a lot of things like that that are happening these days that you hear about. That's that's very traumatizing to hear. But it is it's happening, you know, and it's like your kids are vulnerable. 
Mm -hmm. So you have to speak on their behalf. You have to listen on their behalf. You have to do everything on their behalf, you know? So, and, and, and it is heavy at times because you do get tired and you're afraid that you're going to, you know, mess up, yeah. but we're humans at the end of the day. And, and it's okay if we make mistakes, but yeah. I think it's, it's also very important um, just to raise awareness. Yeah. You have like, you have to speak about, certain things you know um people don't understand you know what make them understand yeah my daughter-in-law my daughter-in-law said something very interesting um yesterday when we're, I was telling her we're going to have this interview and and I was saying you know I don't know what I'm going to speak about and and I was a bit nervous mm-hmm. and then she said to me you know that children like Angelica um they feel but they don't know how to show that they're feeling that the person is there, right? So she's not very responsive. She's saying, but we feel, and the the problem with society is that these children are not able to rally their emotions to us, but then it's our job to rally our feelings to them. Make sense? Mm -hmm. So for example, Angelica, if I'm hugging her and giving her affection, she's not gonna show me that she's happy but I'm happy that I'm carrying her and I'm giving her emotion. What if, because she's not showing me, you know, reciprocating the feelings. So I step back and I'm not going to give her a hug or, you know, show her any love. Why? Because she's not responsive. You do your part. She does her part in her own way. You don't need to know about it. You don't need to see it. You just do your part. You just love the child unconditionally as if he's like any other child and let them be them and you be you. And I thought that was quite beautiful, you know. I'm like, that, that's actually so true. Just because you're not getting a response from a child, it doesn't mean that that child is not happy and he doesn't feel you and he doesn't feel that positive energy or he feels that cuddle, he feels that love, yeah. you know. Um, and I think a lot of people are actually scared of children with special needs. They don't know how to deal with them. But everybody knows what love is. Everybody knows what affection is. That's all they need, really. You know, don't isolate them. Mm. Don't put them aside. They are humans, you know, just like any other child, any other person. If you have something to offer, offer it to them. You know, um, so I, I, it just, it, it really sort of hit home when she said that. Yeah. And I'm like, that's actually so true. It's Let so beautiful. Do their, their part and, you know, they'll do their part. You don't need to see it. It's oh, so beautiful, Rima. A lot, a lot of times, you know, I could I could come up to you know your son Hamza and give him a hug, and then you know he'll smile or chuckle or or whatever it is. So he's being responsive, okay. But then I'll go to Angelica. It's like no, I'm not going to give her a hug because she's not going to respond. Mm. But that's not to say that she's not going to feel that love and connection. And I think that's where a lot of people get that wrong, that because they're not receiving you know, feedback from the child that what's the point, but there is actually a very big point. There is actually, there is a very big point. And then, um, you know, I think like, like you said, we have, uh, we're blessed in this age of technology to have information um, at our fingertips. Um, And there are doctors out there. There are specialists out there that have the heart for your family that have the heart for your special situation, circumstance, and want to know, want to know what your child is like, um, what they enjoy, and they will take the time to have a conversation with you about how can we better assist your child? How can we better assist your family? 
And I think that parents should not settle for um, anything, anything less than that. Um, and I, and I do hear you when it's, it's very intimidating speaking with a professional, they have many letters after their name and many titles and I'm here and I'm, I'm introduced as mom, you know, but that title comes with the experience and the time and the love that they don't have for my child. So you know what, you are going to spend a minute and you are going to listen to me as I tell you what's going to work for our family. Um, and just asking families not to uh, not to feel so alone. There are many parent support groups out there too, um, organizations, resource organizations in uh, near where you live. Fairly easy to find. Um, again, with Google at our our, our fingertips. Um, and don't be afraid to ask for uh, ask for what what you need for your family. Um, asking professionals the questions you need to ask, and also asking for clarification um, if you don't understand their answers. You know they can throw information at you, and um, you know I am sorry I, I I didn't go to medical school. No, I don't know what you're talking exactly. about. Exactly, allow them to intimidate you. That's the thing. See, a lot of them, they intimidate you. And you look, they may not do it on purpose. You may automatically feel intimidated because they have, like you said, all the degrees and, you know, the letters in front of their names and, and all that. But, but at the end of the day, we need to understand as well that, yes, okay, they went to uni or whatever it is and they got a degree. So this is your profession. But yes. my profession is a mother. Yes. My profession is to care for my child and for the rights of my child. Yeah. So just how you're doing your job, I'm doing my job. You're not any better than me and I'm not better than you. Okay, we need to work as a team, not against each other. Understand yes. each other. And, and never, feel, never feel that or obliged that you, like how you, your, um, your mum, when she said, you don't have to go back to that doctor. Yes. So automatically you would have felt, oh, no, I have to go back there and I have to deal with that again. But take that responsibility away from yourself and just say, you know what? I don't have to do anything. If I'm not feeling comfortable, I'm not going to do it, you know? And Completely. that's, that's, that's extremely um, important, you know? Um, 100%. Yeah. That intimidation. I think we've all felt it at one point or another. It's nice to see uh, that some professionals and clinics and, and groups, smaller groups, are taking a more holistic approach when it comes to medicine. Um, it's very nice to see that. It's also very nice to see uh, just a lot of the support that that um, that you can tap into in terms of local resources, resources that are uh, covered with, with insurance providers that you have. Um, so it is nice to see uh, this and the legislation and uh, new legislation trying uh, advocating for for parents rights it, it is nice to see these things um, that you know you probably didn't see or know of in in 1995 um, and so so just uh, that advice for parents to to tap into the resources that are there for families I know there are parent advocates too um, so that's a role uh, that um, parents can, there are, there are parent, parent advocates that help parents um, in understanding what their rights are, what their child's rights are. And so there's, right. there's another avenue. Um, but I just uh, would like to say thank you so much, Rima, for your time and personal insight, thoughtful advice with this conversation, um, d digging into or, or speaking to the, the, your very uh, vulnerable personal 
um, uh, incidences that that's, that's occurred uh, with, with your children. Um, so I do appreciate your time so much um, and, uh, help, and your helpful advice with uh, this conversation on how to be an advocate for your child um, that has special needs. Um, to parents out there, uh, maybe joining a parent support group can help you feel heard and understood and also help you uh, with advice on how to navigate doctor's appointments, yes. um, speaking to other moms uh, and, and asking them the questions that they asked. Um, I think it's important that parents also understand, like, they need to reach out. Don't, don't do this alone, okay? If there's plenty of support out there, take it. It's there for you to take, Yes. okay? Um, just don't leave anything, like, any stone unturned. You know, don't, don't do this alone. You don't have to. Maybe no, it's, a, it's really beautiful what you... Even Indeed. with your, um, with, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but just with you writing this book and the social worker saying, you know, encouraging you to do so, uh, you are thinking in your, like, who's going to read this? And um, you've received so much feedback from me too, just on, uh, thank you for writing this and thank you for ma helping me not feel alone with my individual, uh, you know, circumstances with, with the upbringing of my children. Um, and, and just speaking to what you're saying right now is, is parents don't feel um, alone or feel like you have to navigate these, these things alone. Um, right. There are there are other families out there. There are resources out there. And it's nice to see honesty. Um, I love following you, Rima. I stalk you on Instagram. Your posts are, are, your posts are very genuine. Um, you talk about real issues, real struggles. And you see that now, too. You see that with a lot of parents um, just going out there and, and being vulnerable and saying like, this is what my life looks like. And, and it's hard. Some days are hard and some days are all right. Um, and it helps for other parents to, to see that honesty. So it's nice to see that, you know, social media has taken a turn um, from all those smiles, which smiles are, are, are real too, you know, um, but it's nice to see that shift in like, okay, we're going to be honest on our Facebook account or our Instagram account. Um, and I bet that's helpful, uh, for parents too. Um, I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't see that. I felt a lot of pressure as a, as a new mom, um, you know, Hamza's 10. So a decade ago was, it was just, I felt like I had to have everything together. I felt like I had to have all the answers and I felt like I had to stick up for some of his doctors that really, um, didn't, didn't deserve that. Um, you know, I, I take a, I found another ophthalmologist. Um, we, to this day, I will drive two hours for his, his doctors or I, his eye doctor appointments, because I refuse to go anywhere else. I love the, the facility. I love the care. Um, and it's been, uh, almost nine years. Um, and I will drive the two hours, whatever it takes, um, to take him to a place where I know that he is, uh, he is cared for. My feelings matter. I can have a conversation with the ophthalmologist that's not trying to rush me out of the room. Um, and we can really go home traumatized after the appointment and have to deal with, you know, the pile of emotions that you've just felt. You don't have to yeah, do all that, deal exactly. with all that. And I would like to tell our listeners that if they're interested in purchasing 
Rima's autobiography, Living with Miracles, which I would definitely recommend. Um, Rima was very helpful and just very honest in in everything that you shared with us um, in this novel. So I I do appreciate your words uh, coming from the deepest, darkest corners of your heart. Um, Thank you, Rima. This is a very, very uh, inspirational read. Um, So Australian customers can purchase using uh, the link um, livingwithmiracles.ctcin.bio. And I will also put this in our post um, details. It can also be found on Rima's Instagram bio and uh, Rima's Instagram handle is Rima, R-E-E-M-A dot Abdulkarim, A-B-D-E-L-K-A-R-I-M. And I will put this in the post, like I mentioned. Um, International customers can purchase it through most online bookstores such as Amazon, Book Depository, eBay, et cetera. Um, Thank you all for tuning in to Life at Ease. Please feel free to reach out to us with any questions you may have, or if you are looking to enroll your child in ABA services, you may email us at info at earlyautismservices.com. Don't forget to check out our previous episodes. Have a great day. Thank you so much, Rima, again, for joining. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Bye. Okay.